God's word together before we, before we dive in. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's turn to the, to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your words, we do pray that you would be with us and bless us. By your Spirit, give us hearts uh, that would receive your words with joy, that we would receive it humbly, that we would have ears to hear your word, that you would open our ears this morning to hear your word afresh, to be attentive to it. And we do pray that your word would be at work to transform our lives, that your spirits would be at work to transform our lives, that we would be those that would be transformed into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we know that we can do nothing apart from you, so we pray that you would be with us, that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we considered the first part of this passage, and you'll see at the beginning of verse 7, Peter tells us that the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. And by that he means that Christ is ready to judge the living and the dead. And in light of this impending judgment, we ought to live lives of holiness and godliness. Since God will judge the world in righteousness, we should, as Peter tells us in his second letter, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Every true Christian has already passed from death to life and possesses already an everlasting salvation. Everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ and believes in Jesus Christ will not be cast out, will not be condemned to hell. But all of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian, and we saw this especially in Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, Every Christian will be rewarded for the good that they have done. And every Christian, in some way, will be held accountable for the bad they have done. And this should daily motivate us to live wholeheartedly for the Lord. We should long, shouldn't we, for Christ's evaluation of our lives to be that we lived and walked in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, that we that we live not half-hearted, but wholehearted Christian lives. How are we to live in light of the end? Well, Peter prioritizes four things. Four things. Because the end of all things is at hand, we must be a people devoted to prayer, love, hospitality, and service. And last week we considered how we must be a people devoted to prayer and love. And look at the text again. We are to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. And we must, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
And we now come to Peter's words on hospitality and service. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, and would you look again with me at verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, For the most part, uh, whenever the New Testament speaks about hospitality, practicing hospitality, it refers to welcoming the stranger, uh, welcoming the outsider, the the sojourner, the, the traveler into your home as a means by which to extend to them the love of Christ and to graciously minister to their needs. But in 1 Peter 4, 9, uh, Peter's emphasis is somewhat different. Uh, Peter writes, show hospitality to one another. So Peter is exhorting us to show hospitality to fellow members of the household of God. We are to show hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what does it mean to show hospitality? What does it mean? Well, showing hospitality is all about joyfully welcoming and receiving someone into your home with a desire to bless them and with a desire to provide for them. And in the ancient world, showing hospitality most often entailed uh, the provision of food and of shelter and safety. But uh, the first thing that probably pops into our minds when we think about hospitality is food. Hospitality is about inviting people over for a meal, to share a meal together. And if we're able, we should indeed be inviting one another over to be sharing meals together. Uh, Providing a meal for someone, for people, is indeed a wonderful way to show hospitality. But it's not the only way to show hospitality. It's possible to show hospitality uh, by simply inviting someone into your home to talk, to catch up. Uh, You can show hospitality by simply inviting someone over for tea and biscuits. Perhaps I should say coffee and cookies. Uh, You might invite people over to play board games or watch a movie. Uh, Showing hospitality may on occasion mean hosting someone in your home. It's important to remember then that showing hospitality can take many forms. Uh, But at its heart, it's all about joyfully opening up your home to bless other people. When we show one another hospitality, it's true, isn't it, that we're communicating something to one another. When you practice hospitality, you're saying to someone, I want to welcome you. I want you to come into my home. I want to spend time with you. I want to fellowship with you, I want to bless you, I want to provide for you, because I love you. That's what you're communicating to someone when you show them hospitality. Now, it's important to remember that it's not necessary to spend all day cleaning your home, getting it spotless, uh, in order to show hospitality. It's also uh, not necessary to spend all day cooking some extravagant and expensive meal for your guests in order to show hospitality. But that can be a wonderful thing to do, by getting your home all tidy and spotless and clean and cooking an amazing meal for people. And it certainly has its place. But hospitality doesn't always need to look like that. If you don't have time to thoroughly clean and tidy your home, that's okay. You can still show hospitality. 
And it's okay to invite people over and simply throw some cheap burgers or hot dogs on the grill. That's okay. Uh, you must, we must indeed feel free to welcome one another into the reality of our lives. Into the very reality of our lives. Showing hospitality is a means by which we can indeed express our love for one another. And it's important to see here that Peter's exhortation to show hospitality, where does it flow out from? Well, it flows out from the exhortation to keep loving one another earnestly. Showing hospitality to one another is a means by which to communicate our earnest love for one another. Of course, you can practice hospitality without love. You can do that. It's possible to be hospitable without being driven and motivated by love, right? It's true that showing hospitality can be a dead, loveless duty. Peter tells us that we must show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. That showing hospitality can at times be inconvenient, can't it? And it's all too easy to actually just come up with excuses to not be hospitable. It's all too easy to actually come up with good reasons to not be hospitable. Perhaps you're just too tired. You're too busy. You've got too much going on. Perhaps you need to prioritize time with your family. Perhaps you don't enjoy socializing. You just feel socially awkward, and so having people in your home is just too difficult for you. Or you think to yourself, well, you know, I'm just not a very good cook, and no one wants to come over and eat my food. Or perhaps you think, well, you know, people haven't shown me hospitality. They haven't shown my family hospitality. So why should we then go and extend hospitality to others? The reality is that showing hospitality is hard work. It's hard work. It's not easy. It requires planning. It requires effort. It often disrupts routine. But the hard work is always worth it. It's always worth it. It's both a joy and privilege to bless and to provide for the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. To enjoy fellowship with one another to the glory of God. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now I do believe that Cornerstone is a very hospitable church. I know that many of you regularly practice hospitality. I, I know this from first-hand experience. But as Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Uh, but perhaps you've been, you're, you're, you're convicted by this. Right? Uh, perhaps you're not practicing hospitality right now. Uh, Peter writes here, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And you're thinking to yourself, well, we don't do that. I haven't done that. Or maybe you're thinking we used to do that in the past, but we haven't done that for a long time. As an aside, there are, of course, seasons in life where it's not possible for us to be hospitable, to practice hospitality regularly, and that's okay. Now, if it's really not possible for you to show hospitality right now for whatever reason, for whatever good reason, don't beat yourself up about that. But if you are able to show hospitality, and you haven't been, well, make a start. Make a start. And maybe just start off small. Maybe start by just inviting a couple over for coffee. 
having a chat and enjoying fellowship together and, and go on from there. It raises a question, though, doesn't it, here, uh, of how often should we practice hospitality? How often should we practice hospitality? Well, Peter doesn't tell us. However, Peter's exhortation would seem to imply that we should practice hospitality with some degree of regularity. Uh, what do we mean by regular? Well, I'm not going to give you a number, you know, how, many, how many times in the month or whatever. But we should practice hospitality to such a degree that it becomes a part of our lives. It's just part of how we live. We're regularly having people into our home, both unbelievers and believers. Now, if you struggle to practice hospitality, the answer isn't that you just, you know, stop complaining, pull up your bootstraps, and start working harder. That isn't the answer. You see, your practices won't change unless your desires change. So it's then not so much about your actions, it's about your heart. And if you have a change of heart, then a change of action, a change of behavior will follow. So how then can we cultivate hospitable hearts? Is that possible? Is that something that we can do? Well, yes, it's something we can do. And the first thing we must do is this. We must keep looking to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must keep looking to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I said last week, the more we drink deeply from the fountain of God's love and grace, the more we will be filled and then overflow with God's love and grace to one another. You see, our hearts won't be changed unless we keep looking to Christ. You see, we may intellectually understand that we are to be a hospitable people, right? You read it, it's plain enough, it's clear, be hospitable. You understand that. That doesn't just make you a hospitable person on the spot, does it? But here's the Lord, be hospitable. Go do it. That doesn't make you into, into a hospitable person. Knowledge alone will not change your heart. Jesus must change our hearts. An encounter with Jesus Christ will change your heart. It's only the love of, of Christ that will change us and make us to be more hospitable people. In Romans 15 verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes this. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So that we are to welcome one another in the very same way that Christ has welcomed us. But of course, in order to welcome one another like Christ, we must first experience what it means to be welcomed by Christ. And the way that Christ has welcomed you will transform the way that you welcome other people. So then just Let's reflect on this a moment. How has Christ welcomed you? How has he welcomed you? And when you first came to Jesus Christ, how did he receive you? When you first confessed your sins to Christ, how did Jesus respond to you? Well, do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? Do you remember the moment when the, the father's sinful, wayward son finally came to his senses. And he said to himself, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And how did his father welcome and receive him? And Jesus said, But while he was still away off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Just as the father welcomes and receives his son, so has Jesus welcomed and received us. And with that same love and compassion and tenderness, affection and joy, we must embrace, welcome and receive one another. But it's only until I've experienced the loving embrace of Christ that I can then go and lovingly embrace other people like Christ. And the more I experience his loving embrace to me and his welcome to me, the more I will be empowered to go out and to love and embrace others as he has done for me. And when two Christians embrace one another, they are really simply sharing with one another the love of Christ to them. The love of Christ that is freely and graciously given. Uh, another example, this time from the Old Testament. Do you remember the story of Mephibosheth? Of King David's kindness to Mephibosheth? In 2 Samuel 9, David says, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And when he repeats the question, David asks, Is there not someone still of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. And sure enough, there's Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. And Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson, Saul being the first and former king of Israel. And just remember that in the ancient world, it would be typical for kings to, to kill, to put to death any rivals to the throne. And Mephibosheth would have certainly been seen as a potential rival. But when David receives Mephibosheth into his presence, he welcomes him. And he says to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And we're told that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. It really is an amazing picture of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus lavishes the kindness of God upon us. He welcomes us into his presence. He blesses us and invites us to eat at his table. Something that we're going to be doing this morning together. You see, showing hospitality to one another is a, is a way, it's a means of communicating the truth and reflecting the truth of the gospel gospel. We are to welcome and receive one another as Jesus has welcomed and received us. The more you experience the kindness of Jesus, the more his kindness will transform you. 
Just as Jesus welcomes us to sit and to eat at his table, we are to also be inviting one another to come and sit and eat and be blessed at our tables. So then we must view hospitality as a means by which to express and reflect and communicate the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ to one another. Now, would you look again with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. And this theme of ministering to one another continues. Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. Peter tells us that as each has received a gift, use it then to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So God has graciously given gifts to his people. Each one, writes Peter, has received a gift, and everyone must use that gift to serve others. Everyone has at least one gift. That's kind of implied by what Peter is getting at. Everyone has a contribution to make. Everyone has at least something that God has given by which they can bless other people. But the reality is that God has often given many gifts to his people. Whatever skills and talents that God has given to you, use them then as a means by which to bless and to build up the body of Christ. Each one of us must use the gifts and talents that God has given us to serve the needs of others. And so what Peter is getting at here is that we must be a community of servants. Uh, if you are especially gifted, you mustn't become proud and look down your nose at those who are less gifted than you. But if you are less gifted than others, you mustn't become envious and cover the gifts of others. We must all of us be looking away from ourselves. We must all of us be looking to God. And we must all of us be looking to the needs that are around us. To the needs of our brothers and sisters. To quote Ed Welch, we are all needy. So all of us here at Cornerstone Church are needy. But we are also all of us needed. Or to quote Pastor John, I need Christ in you, and you need Christ in me. And we mustn't use our gifts as a means to ultimately serve ourselves, to elevate ourselves. See, in the church, we must first and foremost use our gifts as a means to glorify God and to serve others, to elevate others, to build up other people. To quote the words of Paul, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You see, we, we mustn't use our gifts to be self-serving. We must be selfless in our serving. Now, again, if we really want to understand what it means to use our gifts for the good of other people, where do we need to look? We need to look again to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, there is no one more gifted than Jesus. On the gifting scale, who's the most gifted? Jesus, right? He's way up there. He's at the top. How did Jesus use his gifts? Well, he used his gifts to glorify God and to love his neighbor. 
Jesus is earnestly committed to the good and the welfare of his people. He is earnestly and wholeheartedly committed to the blessing, joy, and flourishing of his people. Therefore, Jesus used his gifts to serve his people. In Mark 10, verses 42 to 45, we read that Jesus, he called his disciples to him and said this to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that someone is a mature Christian because they possess great knowledge or because they are very gifted. Knowledge of the truth and the presence of great gifts are not sure signs of Christian maturity. The marks of Christian maturity are above all holiness, love and humility. Who are the great ones among us? According to Jesus, who are they? Well, the great ones among us are those who serve. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Would you look again with me now at the second half of verse 11? The second half of verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Notice how Peter identifies here God's varied grace, right? Two categories of gifts. There are speaking gifts and serving gifts. Within the church, God has especially gifted some people to speak and other people to serve. And whoever speaks, writes Peter, should speak as one who speaks oracles of God. And throughout the Bible, this phrase, the oracles of God, always refers to the revealed word of God. So those who are gifted to speak must speak in accordance with the truth of God's revealed word. Those who have, in a sense, they have a speaking ministry within the church, they can't just you know, stand up and say whatever they want. Rather, their speech must cohere with the word of God. Those who preach and teach God's word must therefore be committed to the authority and to the sufficiency of Scripture. Elders are especially set apart to preach and teach God's word. Elders are first and foremost to devote themselves to prayer and then to the ministry of the word. However, if you want to say that while it's true that God has gifted some Christians more than others to speak, to preach, teach, and counsel in accordance with God's word, it's important for us to remember that every Christian Every Christian has, in some sense, a speaking ministry within the church. Each one of you, you may be thinking to yourself, well, God hasn't gifted me to speak. Well, actually, you have a speaking ministry. In Ephesians 4.25, Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
And then in verse 29, Paul goes on to say, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Every one of us is called to speak the truth to his neighbor. And our speech must be only such as is good for building up. Therefore, whenever you speak, speak the truth in love. Speak as one who speaks the very oracles of God. Now, Peter also writes that whoever serves must serve by the strength that God supplies. What does Peter mean by serve, those who serve? Well, I believe that Peter is really just referring to any form of ministry within the church that is not word-based ministry. Perhaps you serve in the kitchen, or in the nursery, in the music ministry, or the welcome ministry. Uh, perhaps you serve in the areas of administration or finances. Perhaps you serve the church by setting out tables and chairs. And the list could, of course, go on and on and on. But how do you serve by the strength that God supplies? You know, perhaps you're going to be involved in setting out tables and chairs after the service. Right, in preparation for our fellowship meal. What will it mean for you to pick up and move a table by the strength that God supplies? Of course, it's possible to get up and to set out a table without giving any kind of consideration to God. Right? I can just get up, pick up a table, go and put it down, and give no thought to God whatsoever. But, you see, if you have strength to move a table, where does your strength to move that table ultimately come from? Where does it come from? Well, God is upholding and empowering your life. And so your strength ultimately comes from the Lord. Serving by the strength that God supplies really has everything to do with the posture of our hearts. Whenever we're engaged in serving the needs of others, we're to humbly acknowledge that it's God who is upholding our lives, and it's God who is empowering our service to others. We must therefore serve God both humbly and prayerfully. Humbly and prayerfully. It means that when you serve, you need to keep looking to God and to God's strength, recognizing that your strength, that our strength, only comes to us from where? God's gracious hand. God's gracious hand. In Hebrews 11.6, we read that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And in Romans 14.23, we read that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. As Christians, we must humbly recognize that we can do nothing apart from Christ. We must fear, trust, and love the Lord. And that means that we mustn't try and, in a sense, stand on our own two feet, independently of God. Right? As though we can live and move and have our being apart from Him. We mustn't try and do good. Right? Do good works apart from God. We mustn't look to our own strength, but to the very strength of the Lord. Because from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. This leads us on to our last point, and briefly. Now, would you look again with me at verses 10 and 11, once again? 
as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever serves as one who speaks oracle, whoever speaks, sorry, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. So then the worship and the exaltation and the enjoyment of God must be the goal of all that we do. Why should the one who speaks speak the oracles of God? The answer, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see, false preachers and teachers aim to dazzle and to impress their listeners with their own words, their own ideas, their own wisdom. And they sadly try and steal away the spotlight from God. They want God's glory for themselves. But when our words cohere with God's word, and the truth of God's word is the driving impulse of all that we say, who gets the glory? God receives the glory. It's all about Him. And our speech will honour and exalt the Lord. Why should the one who serves serve by the strength that God supplies? The answer? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see, if I serve in my own strength, where's the spotlight? It's on me, isn't it? It's not on God. If I'm not looking to God and praising God, if I'm only looking to myself, if I'm trusting in my own strength and power, to whom will I give the glory? Myself, right? Wow, look what I did. But if we serve by the strength that God supplies, our service will honor and exalt the Lord, because it will be about Him. It will be about shining the spotlight on Him. His grace, His power, His love. Peter ends this section with a brief word of doxology. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, Peter wants, and we want, don't we, the spotlight to be on God. God and God alone is worthy of our worship and adoration and devotion. And as a royal priesthood, we are to pour out our lives in devotion to God for his glory. Because to God alone belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. To conclude and to kind of wrap up this section in First Peter, at the beginning of verse 7, Peter tells us that the end of all things is at hand. Christ is ready to judge the living and the dead. How are we to live in light of the end? Well, we've seen that Peter wants us to prioritize four things. We've seen in this passage, verses 7 to 11, that because the end of, it, of all things is at hand, we must be a people devoted to prayer and love, and hospitality, and service. When Christ returns or calls us home, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found faithful. Therefore, we'll be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Above all, we'll keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We'll show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And will serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, giving all the glory to God and to God alone. And may the Lord empower us to be the people he calls us to be. Let's pray together.
Father, we do thank you so much for your word that is so abundantly clear. You reveal to us that a day will come when you will put all wrongs right. You will, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, judge the living and the dead. You will judge the world in righteousness. And you call us to be prepared for that day, to live in light of the end. And we've seen that Peter has been laying out for us what that means. Your word reveals to us what that means. And we do pray that you would empower us to be the people you call us to be, that we would be devoted to prayer and to loving one another and to showing hospitality and to serving one another. We do pray that you would empower us by your spirit uh, to do these things that you would receive all the glory, that the spotlight would be upon you. Father, we do pray that you would give us hearts that are also longing, desiring for you to be exalted, esteemed, treasured above all things, and that you would also give us hearts that would long to, to live and to walk in obedience to you. We do pray these things in Jesus' name.